0: From high above 107 Columbia, with one eye on Eagle Street and the other eye, looking west towards Syracuse University Law School, where in just a few short weeks, NIPTY's 19th Annual Summer College for District Attorneys will be taking place. We hope many of you will be joining us there and we are looking forward to it with great anticipation. Today, we are going to be discussing important points to remember when you are prosecuting A Gun Possession Case. Let's begin with a very basic point that at times can be overlooked in the prosecution of an unloaded firearm. You must prove that the firearm was operable at the time the defendant was alleged to have possessed it. If that firearm is not operable, the facts of your case may permit you to charge the defendant and prosecute him or her with attempted possession of a firearm or loaded operable firearm. Please take a look at the case of People v. Saunders from the Court of Appeals in 1995, which explains the logic and rationale that permits such a prosecution. Now, let's consider licensing. You are not required to prove as part of your case that the defendant did not have a license. That burden is squarely on the defendant. The rationale for this rule comes from an old case, People v. Kahut, from the Court of Appeals. In that case, the court wrote, essential allegations in indictments are generally determined by the statute defining the crime. If the defining statute contains an exception, the indictment must allege that the crime is not within the exception. But when the exception is found outside the statute, the exception generally is a matter for the defendant to raise in defense, either under the general issue or by affirmative defense. Since the licensing exceptions are found in another section of the penal law and not within the actual crimes being charged, this burden falls on the defense. What happens if your gun is destroyed accidentally between the time of its recovery and testing and the time you go to trial? Well, you are not required as a prerequisite to make out a prima facie case to introduce the gun allegedly possessed by the defendant. In the case of People v. Grant, a First Department case from 1993, the trial judge precluded the people from introducing the gun the defendant allegedly possessed into evidence at trial based on what the court considered to be an insufficient chain of custody. Despite this, the people introduced the testimony of the recovering officer and the testimony of the ballistics officer who determined the gun and ammunition were operable the jury convicted the defendant without the gun being introduced. The trial judge set aside the verdict. The appellate division reversed the judge's decision and held that the evidence presented, even without the gun, was sufficient to sustain the conviction of the defendant. The appellate division also wrote that there was in fact a sufficient chain of custody and the judge should have admitted the gun into evidence in the first place. Our next point is assuring that you are able to prove that the gun you are presenting to the jury and the gun that was tested and the ammunition as well by the ballistics lab are in fact the same ones recovered from the defendant. Now the court of appeals has established a two prong requirement for the introduction of physical evidence at trial. First that the evidence is identical to that involved in the crime, meaning it's the same gun and ammunition. And second, that it has not been tampered with in any way that impacts on its significance as evidence. When introducing the gun and ammunition to evidence, you will be using a proper chain of custody to establish that the gun and ammunition recovered were the same ones tested and the same ones that are in court. Clearly, the most significant chain of custody issue is from the recovery to the testing. When using this chain of custody to meet this test, Gaps in the chain do not automatically preclude the introduction of the evidence. The standard required is that the people's evidence establish reasonable assurance of the identity and unchanged condition of the items. Be sure to see the case of People v. Julian, a 1977 Court of Appeals decision, and People v. Hawkins, a 2008 Court of Appeals decision as well as many other cases you will find that address issues of missing links in the chain of custody which are not fatal to the admission. And in essence, it becomes a question of weight versus admissibility with the jury. Next, let's discuss presumptions. When a firearm is found in a motor vehicle pursuant to Penal Law 265.14 subdivision 3, There is a presumption that each person in the motor vehicle possessed the firearm if no individual was seen in possession of it prior to its recovery. Please be sure to see the case of People v. Lemons, a Court of Appeals decision from 1976 addressing a trial involving this presumption. This presumption can provide a prima facie case against each defendant in a vehicle. Next, let's take a look at the Crawford effect on ballistics reports. Pursuant to the Crawford line of cases, you are not permitted to introduce a ballistic report as a business record for the purpose of proving operability of the gun and ammunition. While the report may be introduced as a business record for purposes of establishing the chain of custody of the movement of the gun, For example a second test for operability is done and you need to account for the gun's location and movement from the time it went to the ballistics lab until the time it went to the second person who tested it you will need to call someone who actually tested or observed the testing of the gun in order to have presented evidence of operability Again, always remember with the Crawford line of cases, if the person who made the business record or did any other reporting is present in court to be cross examined by the defense, there cannot be a Crawford objection because the right of confrontation is not violated if that individual who made the record is present. Now let's take a quick look at exemptions. Under Penal Law, Section 26520, There are numerous exemptions to prosecution for those individuals with certain licenses and who are employed in certain jobs however even for an individual such as a corrections officer a police officer there are certain situations where the exemption does not apply for example in the case of people v carney a first department case from 2005 the appellate division affirmed a conviction of a correction officer for possession of a loaded operable firearm in the possession of another individual under the theory of accessorial liability, despite the fact that he is exempt by his job. In the Carney case, the defendant, who drove a vehicle in which his co-defendants were passengers and which contained numerous loaded firearms, made various false statements in an attempt to mislead investigating police officers. The defendant's course of conduct and his chain of falsehoods led to the inescapable conclusion that he knew there were firearms in the vehicle and that he intended to assist his co-defendants in their continuing possession of these firearms by transporting the weapons and by helping the co-defendants evade arrest in determining whether a particular location is part of the defendant's home or place of business keep the following in mind the place of business and home exceptions included in penal law section 26503 sub 3 have not been statutorily defined, but both have been construed narrowly by the courts in an effort to balance the state's strong policy to severely restrict possession of firearms with its policy to treat with leniency persons attempting to protect certain areas in which they have a possessory interest and to which members of the public have limited access. The cases that determine a home or place of business for purposes of the exemption are very different from those cases defining what a building or dwelling is for purposes of prosecuting burglaries. When dealing with a burglary prosecution, the interpretation of what fits these two terms is much broader for burglary than the definitions or application of home or place of business is for the exemption from gun prosecution. So, in making those determinations in a gun prosecution, you should never use any cases which are defining a dwelling in the context of a burglary case. Please be sure to see the written version of today's Nifty Tip for numerous examples and case authority for the issues discussed here today and also take a look at the memo in the PE the expanded memo entitled firearm possession prosecution sufficiency of the evidence as always we want to thank our crack producer and matte painter Jonathan Marconi Crispino to all of you out there my friends be well and stay ready